Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, starting at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, across the Sportsnet Radio Network. It's Chef Merrick along with you. Coming up in hour two, David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada, Robbie Shrimp, co-host of the Shrimp and Savrette podcast. Robbie Shrimp, one of the more creative hockey players we have ever seen. Uh, in the meantime, they're perhaps the most interesting team in the NHL, and they've been that way for a number of years. They are the Tampa Bay Lightning, and someone who knows that all too well uh, former NHL netminder, two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Bolts. He is Curtis McElhaney, and he joins me now. Curtis, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. I mean, the uh, the obvious jump-off point would be Andre Vasilevsky, but I want to kind of go in a lot of different directions with Tampa with you um, because you know these uh, players as professionals, as practice players, as game players, all of it. Um, let's start with Vasilevsky. I do want to talk about John Cooper. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, let me ask about Andre Vasilevsky. So... You watch this guy up close and personal for a long time. And I've maintained that there'll never be another Dominic Hasek. And for, for my money, you know, Dominic Hasek is probably the best goaltender I think I've ever seen. Um, but the closest goalie we have to Dominic Hasek will just abandon everything to make a save. And you know, his arms look like they're, you know, Gumby arms, like to, to make a save. It's Andre Vasilevsky. As a fellow goaltender who is right there with him for a couple of cups, what are your thoughts on the goalie they call Vassy. Well, I think your, uh, your jaw just kind of hits the floor every time you watch him. And, you know, I, and I've said this many times before, he's one of the few goalies, if maybe the only one that I ever had the chance to, to play against was if I looked out at the other end of the ice, it almost feels like you're beat before the game starts. You know, and that's just hmm. that's just a dominating personality. And his game obviously backs it up. And then, I mean, now the last what is it, three, four years, we've we've got the evidence that the proof is there. And, you know, he's he's been putting on another clinic, even though that first round may have looked a little suspect at times. It seems like he's right back to his traditional playoff form. Well, it, it's funny, too, because he's in a lot of ways representative of Tampa. You know, they'll they'll bend, but they won't break. You know, the strongest tree is the one that bends. It's, uh, if, if you bend, you won't break. Like, it almost seems as if that's, that's Tampa in a nutshell. Um, is, is there one thing that... Because you know, I want to get my goalie geek hat on here. Is there there one thing about his game that you look at and you say that's why that guy's elite, or that's what this guy does better than anyone else? Is there any like one or two things, Curtis, you can point to to say that's why Vasilevsky is who Vasilevsky is? No, I mean it's a package deal. It's you know he's got the genetics, the size, the you know everybody that plays at that level obviously has the personality that they want to be the number one guy. And, you know, he has all those qualities, but, you know, when you factor in that flexibility and the sheer size of him, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, we saw him playing against arguably the top, the one of the best goalies in the NHL right now in Shesterkin. And, yep. you know, they, they went toe to toe in that series and Shesterkin was phenomenal as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, one guy came out of it and that's kind of been the story the last couple of years with Bassey. Uh, you know, you throw uh, someone like Ilya Sorokin into the mix as well. What is it with all the Russian goaltenders lately? I mean, Shosturkin is next level. What a performance, regular season and playoffs. We're talking about Vasilevsky. You know, look to the island uh, for Sorokin there. Do you have a, a thought or a theory on why all of a sudden, you know, the goalie factory has, has moved to Russia? Yeah, I don't know. It always seems to kind of have its ways, whether it's the Swedes, the Finns, um you know, it was Canadians for a long time, and, and now it seems to be the Russians is a hot place to go. So um, I don't know what it is, but the thing is that I like to see at least from this is, you know, we've got a wide range of sizes in those goalies because the other two guys that you mentioned, they're not they're not huge goalies. I mean, Bassey is just a, a massive guy in the net, and you factor in all those qualities in terms of flexibility and athleticism, and it's a different game. But, you know, Sorokin's not a huge guy in the net, and Shesterkin isn't massive either. So, um, you know, it's, I think for me, it's impressive to see just the, the range and sizes of these goalies that are coming out of Russia right now, and it's not just the same prototype one after another. Mm-hmm. One of the things that someone told me is is early on, I mean, so much of a focus for a, a Russian goaltender is all about skating, and it's drilled into them, skating, 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 skating. 
Uh, do you see any advantage there? We'll get off the goalie thing here in a second, but do you see any, any advantage there with the Russian goaltenders that maybe they're they're better skaters than anybody else? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's always kind of been the emphasis. Even when I started growing up and going to goalie schools, it was always the mindset was the goalie needs to be the best skater on the ice. So mm-hmm. whether that's just their execution of the drills that they're implementing over in Russia the last handful of years with these guys that we're seeing now, um, maybe they just got an early jump on it and they had a better system laid out for their uh, youth goaltending coaching. So, uh, it, you know, that is certainly one of their aspects. It's, it's a strong point for all those goalies that are currently playing in the league. With Curtis McElhaney, former NHL goaltender, two-time Stanley Cup champion, I want to ask you about John Cooper. So John Cooper, you know, it's remarkable. John Cooper's never won the, um, the, the Jack Adams Coach of the Year. Julian Brisebois has never won the Jim Gregory General Manager of the Year Award, but all these guys do is win Stanley Cups. It's kind of a unique phenomenon here. Uh, when I say the name John Cooper, Curtis, what comes to your mind? Uh, he's just super relaxed, super cool. There never really seems to be um, too much excitement or emotion behind that bench whenever things are going crazy. So, I mean, you can look back all the way to that Columbus first-round knockout, and, you know, I think that whole summer there was a lot of people beating on the drum that his time had kind of come. We needed a new voice, and uh, Julian stuck with them there, wrote it out, and here we are two cups later and on the cusp of potentially a third. So uh, I think the two of them, they just have a great working relationship. They've been together for a long time, so they know each other inside and out, and they uh, definitely believe in each other what they bring to the table so uh, but he's just a relaxed guy behind the bench I mean you watch him throughout a game he never seems to get too excited Mm -hmm. what I've seen over the years it's interesting too because you know there are moments where you can do it but if you do it all the time like if you lose your mind behind the bench players kind of tune you out don't they and it almost seems like okay this is okay here we go he's gonna get you know he's gonna throw a stick on the ice or he's gonna bang the boards or here comes the water bottle like players tune that out after a while don't they yeah, for sure. And I think it's just kind of one of those things you're sitting there and all of a sudden you kind of tense up just waiting for that moment to occur, mm. um, whether that be a meeting, you know, in the dress room or on the bench. And Coop just, you know, that's not to say that he doesn't get fired up every now and then or, or say what needs to be said. But, um, you know, he comes off pretty cool when he does it. So no excitement, which is kind of nice. Doesn't get your heart rate racing when you don't need it to be in a, <laughs> an amped up environment like a hockey game. How is how is he from a goaltender's point of view? I'm always curious about head coaches and and how they handle goalies. Is he strictly hands off? Does he have any conversations, advice, anything like? How's Cooper with the goaltenders? Yeah, I think he relies on the backup goalie to get a little bit more information on where that room's at. Um, you know, in regards to having conversations with Bassey, I think that's more just in terms of managing his workload and kind of seeing where he's at. But for the most part, he's pretty hands-off with the goalies, I think. You know, all good head coaches understand that there's a goalie coach there for a reason, and that's what their job is, to make sure that that guy's in the right mindset and taken care of. And, you mm-hmm. know, the coach just pops in periodically to check on those guys. Uh, Nikita Kucherov. Steven Stamkos, uh, Braden Point. I mean, you were there uh, in practice plenty uh, to have these guys shoot at you, shoot on you, uh, shoot around you, uh, I would, uh, assuming at times. The thing, I want to get to, to all these players here. Um, the thing about Kucherov that always freaks me out is sometimes it looks like he doesn't even roll his wrists. The puck just comes off the blade. What did you see when Kucherov shot on you in practice? Yeah, he's just a step ahead of you all the time. And I think the thing in practice that I notice about him most is he's always trying something different. He's always, you know, it's not just a come down and take a routine shot. There's always something new that he's trying to implement in his game to get better. So he's kind of one of those frustrating players. I mean, you could even look at it, and I don't know how many people have noticed this, but he will switch back and forth between a black tape stick and a white tape stick. And for players, that's to me, a really challenging thing to do just based on the visual cues of that. So I think most of this playoffs, he's been rocking the white tape. Um, But yeah, he's always looking for ways to find just little incremental improvements every Hmm. single day. Who's, who's the, who was the freakiest on that roster about that? About changing little things Uh, like tape, maybe skate laces. I mean, I love the minutia of the game. Is there anyone or maybe Kucherov's just that guy with the, uh, with the white tape, black tape? 
I yeah, I mean, you know, whether or not you'd get all the details from him, I doubt. But you could probably say Cooch is the guy that's tinkering the most with everything. So mm-hmm. I know he has set things that he loves, and I think the stick is probably. I would hate to see what their budget looks like for him <laughs> in regards to sticks, because you know he's always trying something new, and it's not yeah. even just tape; it's curves, it's save. You know, I saw him use a Patty Kane stick in in parts of a game or in a warm up, and then switch back to his traditional curve. And you know, the fact that he can go out there and use a curve that looks completely different, but he sees something that Patrick Kane is doing, and he wants a piece of that success. Mm. He's willing to test it out. So, uh, just just an elite, elite playmaker and thinker all around, but constantly looking for ways to get better. So, let me ask you about Steven Stamkos, and I want to I want to frame it and couch it this way. When he scored that goal in the bubble against Dallas, I thought, A, that's great. That is going to be on his highlight pack forever. We're going to think of that great moment, um, you know, where, you know, injured and comes out and scores, and then, you know, then he's lifting the Stanley Cup. But I think we're all thinking to ourselves, okay, is this now the injuries really catching up to Steven Stamkos? You know, we know where he's at with his career. We know what he's done. You know, is that going to be the the one thing we remember him with? Almost like we're all sort of winding down our expectations of what Steven Stamkos is going to do for the remainder of his career here. I don't know many, if any people, thought we'd get this season out of Stamkos, both regular season and playoffs as well. And he was front and center on Saturday uh, with the goal that made it one nothing, uh, with the goal that made it 2-1, to uh, with the penalty, all of it. Um, what did you think going back to the Dallas series in the bubble as far as Stamkos goes, and what do you make of Steven Stamkos now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been pretty impressive. Obviously, we all respect the goal-scoring capabilities, and you know, we think of him just kind of in that one-timer position. That bubble performance was pretty special. I mean, he was there the entire time with us. Uh, not an easy spot to be. Just, you know, you're away from family. You're not playing you're surrounded by all these other teams. So I can't imagine how long that whole process was to wait to get to that point. The fact that he laced them up and came out for a game and mm-hmm. ended up scoring that <laughs> real goal. Awesome. Was, you know, kind of one of those heartfelt moments for that group in particular um, to see him get out there and just kind of hang out on the bench afterwards was, was pretty special. You know, fast forward a couple of years and here we are, he's having arguably one of his best seasons and he's continued to roll that over in the playoffs and you know the first thing I think of is leadership I see leadership just written all over not just him but that whole group you know the 2020 win was Hedman and Point and Kucherov just had Vassy had these phenomenal runs Stammer had to watch from the sidelines the second one he gets to participate in he's great and then here we are in the third run and you know he's the guy leading the charge especially like to answer with 21 seconds after a goal in the third period to knock out a team. I mean, you know, yeah, great lucky bounce, phenomenal pass, but Mm -hmm. it's the fact that they created that opportunity so quickly after that. And this whole playoff run in general, it's just been to me a testament to his leadership qualities for that group. Have about a minute left here, but I do want to ask you about Victor Hedman. Now, Victor Hedman is my favorite defenseman in the NHL, one of the best defensemen in the NHL, maybe the best defenseman in the NHL. From a goaltender's point of view, how does he make a goaltender's life easier? Like, what's it like playing behind Victor Hedman? What can you tell us about him? Well, I love the amount of real estate he takes up on that ice. And, sure, yeah. <laughs> and then his, uh, yeah, his ability just to skate the puck out and and really to create plays and to kind of jump into that offense you know those are those are special players they're obviously heading into the twilight of their career but you know there's a lot of good miles left and that group they, they've been together for some time so Hedy's a he's a special player great person and you know it's been fun to kind of watch those guys each step up in different moments and and take over these playoffs and and those past playoff runs as well so you know, here here's the thing. We'll we'll end on this because the thing about Tampa is we focus on the skill so much. This can be a nasty team. Like this is not an easy team to play against, and they just got nastier by bringing in Corey Perry this year as well. This is you know kind of like that Islanders '83 squad. They'll play any way you want, and if you want to get a little dirty and you want to get a little rough, that's just fine with Tampa too. 
Yeah, and it's it's been great to watch. I mean, the most impressive part is just their ability to find ways to win. And when they've got a lead and they need to lock it down, they just they understand that now. And that's not just those top guys. It's it's the rest of the players that they've brought in and also that younger core of that group as well. So yep. um, it's a treat to watch. I mean, I'm crossing my fingers that point can hop back out here in the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, it should be a, a pretty impressive finals, especially going matching up against Colorado's top uh, line. It should, and be, it should be. McCarr on the back end. Yeah, we're looking forward to this one. Listen, uh, very much appreciate you spending some time with me today. Much appreciated. Uh, enjoy the final. I know we all will. Uh, be well, and we'll check back soon. Thanks so much for this, Curtis. Yeah, thank you. Curtis McElhaney, uh, former NHL netminder, two time Stanley Cup champion with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa looking for the three peat. And as, you know, as, as someone uh, DM'd me yesterday, it's not just that. The Tampa Bay Lightning are doing this in a salary cap era or trying to win three in a row here in a salary cap era. They're doing it in a flat salary cap era. You know about Stanley Cup teams. Whenever you have success, we all know what follows. Well, we had to make some tough decisions and couldn't re-sign player da-da-da-da-da. And it costs you players. It happens with every successful team. But at least in those scenarios... The salary cap has been going up, and it is easier to navigate those waters. But for Tampa, bubble was the first cup. COVID was the second cup. Now this is the first one in a real NHL season, and they've had to battle a flat cap the whole way. Fascinating team. David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada joins me next from Denver. Back in a moment. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Robbie Shrimp coming up bottom of the hour. Co-host of the Shrimp and Savret Show... Great new podcast, former NHL forward, junior hockey legend, YouTube sensation. Now everybody does the stuff, but he's one of the OGs. Robbie Shrem coming up uh, now in Latvia, where he's playing. Talk to him at the bottom of the hour. Meanwhile, someone who will be making his way to Denver shortly is uh, David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. DA joins me now. How are you, sir? Good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'll, I'll say what I'm very much looking forward to this, uh, this Stanley Cup final, because as much as we love a Cinderella story, and who doesn't love a Cinderella story? Man, four rounds is tough for a Cinderella story. You know, back in the 80s when it was, you know, uh, King Richard Bredour leading the Vancouver Canucks to the final, you kind of run out of gas. Uh, the Minnesota North Star is getting to the Stanley Cup final, you kind of run out of gas. The Montreal Canadiens last year, it's a great story, but by the end, you kind of run out of gas. I don't think anybody is expecting either the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Colorado Avalanche to run out of gas. Like, this is a heavyweight fight, DA, between two legit contenders. There's no Cinderella story here. There's no someone that got here on a miracle punch from the cellar that flash KO'd their opponent uh, as an underdog. No way. These are, like... These are two legit Stanley Cup contenders, and that's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to this one. What do you make of this matchup? Yeah, I think this is a really compelling matchup, and you could argue, you know, you're a bit of a hockey historian. You'd have to look this up. But if Tampa somehow wins this series and wins the Stanley Cup, think about the path that they've taken, right, Um, against the Leafs, who I believe finished fourth or fifth in the NHL in points. You know, set a franchise record for wins and points, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then the President Trophy, in Florida Panthers, both those series on the road. In fact, all three series they've started out on the road. Yeah. Uh, and then a very good Ranger team against the guy who's going to win the Vesna and one of the Hart finalists in that, a team that had won, you know, survived elimination five times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, a bit of a Cinderella. And I guess you could say, even though they're the road team, Tampa was probably the favorite going into that series. Uh, but now going up against the Western champs, a team that's gone, what, 12-2 and two, with two sweeps along the way, a team with home ice advantage, 
a team uh, that I believe finished second overall in points. So think about that road for Tampa. Mm-hmm. Starting on the road, all four series, knocking out the top team, the second team, the fourth team, all uh, you know in difficult circumstance. So if they win this cup, you could. I mean, you'd, you'd have to go through it. I, I really, off the top of my head, can't find a, a tougher path. But that uh, that's a pretty damn good path, and that would really solidify. To, to me, to me, they're a dynasty. Um, you, you know, you could even make the case they're a dynasty if they lose in this final. Uh, to, to Colorado, but to me, when you look at that Tampa team, if they win this, this is, as you said, a, a heavyweight matchup, and and this would be sort of the final knockout in, in what would be just an unbelievable run for them. Tampa was going to have the tough path, and, and you laid it out beautifully. Uh, I think in the West, the St. Louis Blues, if they would have been the ones, you know, last team standing, that was going to be a really difficult path to get there. Um, mm-hmm. But here we are, Colorado and Tampa, and you know, I'll tell you, the, the dynasty question is interesting. And we focus a lot on the show by talking about Tampa. I, I do want to switch over to Colorado in a second. But, you know, when I look historically at, you know, who I compare this team to and, you know, which team am I feeling, you know, this team is closest to, I go back to the 83 Islanders. And the 83 Islanders, that was a team that was right at the end of the dynasty and swept the Oilers and the Oilers were fine and walking by the dressing rooms and look at the grizzled veterans and the beards and the ice packs and the bruises and that's what it takes to win the Stanley Cup. That's the like that's what I get from this Tampa team. It's a mm-hmm. mixture of high skill and sacrifice. Like you saw Hedman get hit Saturday night, Alexi Lafreniere. He goes off, Chernak blocks a shot. He goes off as Hedman's coming back on. Like that revolving door of... You know, next man up, get stitched up, get back out there. You know, I, I I try not to use too many war analogies when it comes to sports, but it's it's tough not to when you have a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, is three cups, you know, equivalent to four in a non-salary cap area? I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I'll go you one more. So, I was mentioning this uh, before we went to the top of the hour break. As someone DM'd me yesterday, brought up a great point. It's not just that Tampa's done this in a salary cap era. Like, that's hard. And we saw what happened to Chicago. They couldn't, you know, win back-to-back Stanley Cups. Um, every team, when you win the Stanley Cup, you have to get rid of some players. That's just how it works with the salary cap. Um, it's not just that Tampa's doing this with a salary cap. They're doing it with a flat salary cap. Like, that's the thing that might be the most impressive here. They're doing this not just with the confines of a cap, but a cap that is not going or just inching mm-hmm. Just inching up. You know what I mean, DA? Like, when you look at the roster construction, and Julian Breezewell has still yet to win the GM of the year, and John Cooper has still yet to win the coach of the year, but they're doing this all, and I, I know Lance Kennedy playing the keyboards behind me is saying, oh, yeah, they also mastered the LTIR game with Kucherov, wink, wink. They're doing it all with a flat cap. That, to me, is outstanding. It's amazing. And, you know, how many teams can you say, okay, we're going to remove your third line that is, you know, plays everything Did they penalty kill they check they can add the timely goal they can change the momentum and the tempo of the game they do all these things we're going to you're going to lose those three guys mm-hmm. who are not again and now go about your business and and tell me you're not going to miss a beat and then all they do is they get you know Corey perry they get belmar they they go and they they trade for hagel and nick paul and, and you know nick paul and i've scared to say his name on a, on a Canadian radio station based out of <laughs> I, I said to him in Tampa, I go, you're not even welcome home anymore. He's like, man, my friends won't even talk to me. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's that Julian Breezewell pulls the right strings. Um, but it's also when I think someone gets into that dressing room, they see this winning culture, this winning attitude. And you, you know, you better, you better be ready to be with us right? We need you to be with us. And, you know, Nick Paul only joined in March, right? He joined the team in March. And, and I said, well, how, you know, how were you able to get, you know, acclimated to your new surroundings so quickly, new systems, new personnel? And he said, right away, I just saw how the guys worked and I needed to work like that. So it's funny, you know, it's just funny how, you know, winning breeds winning. And you're right. The fact that the salary cap's been flat and they've had a level of attrition, you know, not just their third line, you know, Tyler Johnson and they lost Bogosian yep. after the first up. I mean, they did lose some some significant parts. They kept their nucleus, but they certainly lost some key parts and components, you know, around the way. And they've just been able to plug guys in and it's worked. And 
Uh, it's amazing. But this is going to be the stiffest challenge yet. The one, you know, when I'm trying to handicap the series, the one thing that jumps out to me is I do look at the goaltenders that mm-hmm. Colorado has faced thus far. They have yet to play a number one, you know, kind of a true top-tier number one goalie, right? Yep. They missed Soros. Uh, they ended up missing Bennington, who was on a nice roll. And they so they essentially ended up with backups and third stringers in Connor Ingram. And then Mike Smith, you know, by all accounts, Mike had a very good run in the Battle of Alberta. But, you know, I think he would be the first to admit he didn't, you know, play his, his best. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is this is put this on Mike Smith. It's just I think, you know, they were able to get leads, play with leads generally and dictate, you know, the, the game. They're going up against Vasilevsky now. So that's going to be a really different if Colorado comes out and can score first and, and get a bit of a lead and, and, and keep the tempo where they want it, then, you know, this could be a really great series for them. But God forbid if they get out there and Tampa slows things down and, you know, checks, 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 and they've got Vasilevsky as the last line of defense, we could be staring down some one nothing, 2-1, 3-1 type of games, which is what we saw in the four Tampa victories against the mm-hmm. Rangers. And, you know, if that if push comes to shove and you're saying, well, who's going to make the big save, Darcy Kemper or, or, or Vasilevsky, my money's on Vasilevsky. So that's where the scale could, could tip here. Um, I'm not saying it's going to come to that, but I'm saying that would be if, if I had to pick between these two teams and sort of identify one incredible advantage, yeah. it's, you know, Vasilevsky is, you know, he's starting to get into that conversation. You're, you like doing this where we talk about greatest of all time and all those sort of things. Yep. I mean, he's getting into that conversation, right? When you, oh, yeah. you, uh, oh, Brodeur, yeah. you talk about why you talk about whoever you want to add to that list, you know, the Ken Dryden's or whomever, like yeah. his track record speaks for itself. And he's played every single minute now What 66 starts or something like that in the last 22 months in the playoffs. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, it really is, and you know, I was mentioning this with um, I think it was either with Elliot or with, with no, it was with Curtis McElhaney who was on before you. You know, somehow the uh, the goaltending factory internationally has now moved to Russia, and we see Igor Shosturkin and Andre Vasilevsky, Ilya Sorokin, by the way, next season. Why? I mean, based on what we saw this season from Sorokin, there's another one uh, that you're going to add to the Russian mix. You know, I'm I think you nail it with that one, Da. Um, if it comes down to whose goaltender is better, I I always go back to where Elaine Vigneault used to say, and that is, you know, hockey is very simple. If your goaltender is better than my goaltender, you win. But if my goaltender is better than your goaltender, I win. May uh-huh. sound like an oversimplification, but how many times has that been true? Like, that's been more true than it's been wrong, you know, going back to when ice first froze and we dropped a round little black thing on it. Yeah, you know, I, you know, we don't want to simplify it, and I, I do think at the end of the day, that's a massive difference. I mean, goaltending and starting pitching, I am not sure, you know, in a quarterback, I suppose there's there's certain positions that this they mean more than other positions, and goaltending clearly at this time of year, you know, you're just not going to win a Stanley Cup or get to a Stanley Cup final with with average goaltending, and um, and I'm not saying Colorado's goaltending's average. I mean, they were, what, uh, second in the league in goals against this year or something? I mean, they clearly check well, and they clearly got timely saves, and Darcy Kemper's numbers were, were quite good, and Francois did what he had to do in the last, you know, two series to get them to where they are now. Um, but, you know, Vasilevsky's track record against the best teams at the most important times is impeccable. Um, and, and also, quite frankly, just how Tampa is playing right now and maybe I'm a bit biased because I just got to watch them rinkside for mm. six minutes. And, you know, even aside from the first game, which you kind of can throw out, you know, it just wasn't, you know, they didn't have their legs and, and they weren't playing. They, they, by all accounts, didn't get them, find themselves till halfway through the second period of the second game. And from that point on, it was just lockdown mode. And, and, you know, you've spoken, you know, effusive praise you've heaped upon Anthony Sorelli for a number of years. You were one of the first on his bandwagon. You know, the way John Cooper described it, this guy should be a sulky finalist every year. He said yep. he's just not a point collector. And it's become who has the most points that also plays a 200-foot game will win the Selkie. Um, it hasn't really been a matter of, you know, who's just a great checking player and hopefully can score some timely goals. Anthony Sorelli's that guy. You know, that line with Killorn and Hagel, 
we're giving the best players on on um, on the on the Rangers fits, and if they're able to do that to the Nathan McKinnon, the Ranton, and the Landis Cogs, you know, if Kadri's back, if they're able to be that thorn in the side to neutralize some of that scoring. Uh, that's a massive, massive if. But if they could do that, that really does, again, tilt the scales towards a possible Tampa uh, victory in this series. No one's been able to do it yet. We've seen how, yeah. how Colorado scores. But if there is a line capable of checking at that level, it's Hagel, Kalorn, and Sorelli. You know, it, it's kind of DA like um, like how we talked about Philip Deneau last year in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right? Like hard match him against whomever, and he will live in their hip pocket, and he will shut them down. And then we saw that, you know, Philip Deneau in that series against the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. What do we keep talking about? Wow, look at the job that he's... Like, are we kind of, like... To me, we're kind of getting into that conversation now with uh, with Anthony Anthony Sorelli, even though, to your point, it, it has been there for a few years. I mean, what does... What did the playoffs do? The playoffs make legends and gets you in, get you into conversations. Like, like if you voted for the Smythe Trophy right now, my vote would be for Kale McCarr. And Elliot brings up the point, this guy is not just in the Norris Trophy conversation now, but moving forward, what we'll see is uh, Kale McCarr in the Hart Trophy conversation. That's what these playoffs have done. Everybody on the biggest stage has had a chance to watch Kale McCarr and see yeah. how he plays. And I think ditto for Anthony Sorelli. Now you're starting, and now, you know, to the point that John Cooper made, to the point that you made, um, now you'll start to see him, I think, more consistent in the uh, in the Selkie Trophy battle. He's been there before. But very much on the on the on the, on the fringes, on the periphery, and as we know, Selkie can sometimes be that trophy that is a reputational trophy. Let's just say it that way: is a reputational trophy. He has a reputation now that he should be in that conversation. He really is a, a dynamic player, and he really grinds. You know, it's funny. I think I'd have to double check this, but I think the Rangers had one even strength goal in the last four games of that series. I mean, they only scored five goals. But my point is, just five on five, uh, they were just getting grind. You know, and, and we're talking good players here. We're talking about Chris Kreider, a 62-goal scorer regular season in playoffs. We're talking about Zabanajad, who was on an absolute heater uh, until those last four games when he got neutralized uh, by Sorelli in that line. You're, you're talking about a, a group of, of, you know, Panarin, a group of pretty talented forwards, um, and they were completely shut down. And, uh, and you know, he was, they weren't just grinding them down, but they, they would have these long cycle shifts down low in the Rangers. And, you know, it was just grinding down the defenseman. It was just changing the whole flow and momentum of the game. Uh-huh. It, it was actually quite, to, to watch it closely like that, I was just like, my goodness. You know, um, they, they give you fits, right? They really do. And it almost got to speak kudos to the Leafs in that first round to be able to get the offense that they generated essentially until game seven. Um, you know, probably shouldn't be bringing that up. But anyways, it was just <laughs> like, you know, like they they made Vasilevsky look pretty average and they were able to put up enough offense to, to win that series, um, albeit, you know, it, was, it wasn't consistent enough to, to win that series. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, just watching what they were able to do against a good offensive New York team was was pretty fascinating. Colorado is a whole other level, so I'm not sure what to make of it. That's why I, you know, you started this conversation out by just saying it's two heavyweights and how compelling a matchup. And yeah. I think you're right. And you know, Steven Stamkos had a chance to interview him on the ice at the end, and he said, you know, this is the matchup people have sort of been expecting for the last couple of years. And I think he's right. Yeah. You know, I think Tampa held their end of the bargain, obviously. And Colorado, you know, had those missteps in the second round each of the last few years. And finally, we're getting that showdown that, you know, you know, pure hockey fans, I think, will enjoy. And I think you, you made a good point. You know, Dallas, two years ago, we again, you know, expected they were kind of run out of juice by the final Montreal last year. And we've seen a whole bunch of cases of that happening. But this time, it's sort of the two heavyweights toe-to-toe and it's filled with superstars, the McCarr, the McKinnons, et cetera. And I'm, I'm excited because, or at least I'm anticipating, I think Braden Point's going to be good to go. I, I, I like to think John Cooper wasn't, you know, doing the old bait and switch on us. He was kind of putting out there before game six. Oh yeah. He's very close. A pregame skate, you know, mm-hmm. all signs are positive. And then of course he doesn't even take the pregame skate. We're like, Oh, I guess we were kind of duped a little bit there, but you know, in watching him skate, you know, in, in the morning skate with his teammates, he looked good. He certainly is close. 
And I don't know, we don't know specifically what injury Braden Point suffered, but um, there's a lot of speculation, you know, it might be a meniscus or something along those lines. The recovery period for that is generally four to six weeks, and we're now four plus weeks. So he's actually in the ballpark of being, you know, what we'd expect him to return mm-hmm. from, from the type of injury we, we suspect he has suffered. So um, Braden Point, Hopefully to be back. I read today that Nazem Kadri could be back. So I'd love to have all hands on deck, especially those two guys who are, are total drivers for both their teams. You know what I wonder about? And I always think about this <clears throat> when it comes to elite teams that win Stanley Cups. Sometimes there comes a moment where there's a decision whether we just stay the course or we blow it up. And I think about, you know, the 1994 Rangers, you know, two seasons before they won the Stanley Cup. They had a great year. I think they won the President's Trophy, top team in the NHL. Uh, They ended up losing early in the playoffs, but all of a sudden people are talking about the Rangers and, wow, this is going to be this team that's going to win the Stanley Cup maybe as early as next season. Next season comes, and they don't make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They were a really bad team, and I remember Neil Smith telling me the story about, you know, Mark Messier and a couple of other players, you know, coming to him and saying, look, you know, resist the temptation to blow this up. We have a really good team here. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't blow it up. We should be adding to this team. Like, we can get this done. We can win the Stanley Cup. And they, you know, didn't make moves that many people thought they should have. And it was the smartest thing they could have done. And in 1994, the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. I go Mm -hmm. back to, you know, 2019 and the Tampa Bay Lightning after that first period in the in the series against the Columbus Blue Jackets, I think there was 3 nothing after the first. And after that period, Columbus comes back and sweeps Tampa. And, D.A., I can remember the draft that year. It was in Vancouver, and it was wild with rumors. Like, that was one of the more rumor-filled draft floors I've ever seen. That's when we first got wind of uh, of the Milan Lucic trade, the Edmonton Edmonton Calgary deal with James Neal going the other way, uh, and there were all kinds of wild rumors about Tampa was going to send Kucherov to Edmonton, and Leon Draisaitl is going the other way, and this one's going to be a whopper. It's going to rock the NHL to its foundations, etc. And Tampa decided let's not overreact to a sweep. And I'm always intrigued at the general manager who doesn't react during a bad time when a team's at its lowest. Like, this is it. And listen, John Tortorella talked about how we created a monster. And John Uh Cooper said, yeah, he did create a monster with us because that was some of the, you know, that's some of the monster fuel we used to help win a couple of Stanley Cups. But I'm always amazed at teams that, you know, look at a bad situation and say, you know what? I don't think we should blow it up. As a matter of fact, I think we should double down. Not unlike what Brad Treliving did with the Calgary Flames last year. Remember all those empty calorie games Calgary's playing at the end of the season against the Vancouver Canucks in the, the, the COVID-shortened season? And we're like, oh, man, they got expiring contracts on Johnny Gaudreau, and they got to blow this thing up, and what's going to happen with Matthew Kachuk? Is he just going to play the year, take his QO, and then walk away? And what's tr- and living doubled down, and it turned into a fantastic season. Didn't end the way they wanted, but it turned into a fantastic season for the Calgary Flames. I'm always amazed at coaches that have the guts to do it. And it is gutsy. Smith was gutsy to do it in 93. And I think that, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning were gutsy to do it in 2019. I I think it's a copycat league and a couple of points to reflect on here. Not only did Tampa get swept, but Nikita Kucherov, who I remember all those trade rumors circulating, he lost his cool, I want to say, in game two. Suspended. he was suspended for, I think, one game. I think he was there for the last game, but he was suspended. You know, right when the team needed him most, he went and lost his head and did something stupid and got suspended for a game. And I remember all those rumors. And, you know, you're right. When you think of Steve Eiserman, Julian Brisebois, you know, stay the course, you know, let's be smart. You know, it's a copycat league. And right now, if I'm, you know, if I hold the keys to an NHL club, I'm looking at Tampa and I'm looking at Colorado and go, well, what do these teams have in common? Yes, they have great players, but what else do they have in common? Patience. John Cooper happens to be the longest tenure coach in the NHL. Jared Bednar, I believe, is maybe the third longest tenured. I'd have to check that, but he's in the top two or three longest tenured. Jared Bednar, by the way, is maybe the most unlikely longest tenured coaches. You know, you don't have to look back at, what, 2017, the Colorado Avalanche, I think, had 48 points or 44 points. Mm-hmm. The, the fewest points in this in this century, so since 2000. They had the fewest points since 2000 
for an NHL team. You'd think that'd be right for dismissal. Um, and they didn't dismiss him. Joe Sackick said, you know, he's a good, smart, young voice. Uh, we're going to get the right bodies around him. We're going to build, develop, uh, draft, trade. We're going to do all the things, put the pieces in place for him. They've done that, and look at the success they've had. So you have two of the longest-tenured coaches. You have GMs who are patient, um, you know, and you want to talk about the patience of Joe Sackick. What about the Matt Duchesne trade? Where we're like, you got to trade this guy, you got to trade uh, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he waited and waited and waited. And essentially, if you want to find a day that kind of maybe turned them into a championship-caliber team, mm-hmm. uh, that was it, grabbing all those pieces, the draft pieces, the players, et cetera, from, from both Nashville and Ottawa, right? Um, you know, patience is it's hard at this in, in sports because it's a what have you done for me lately, the results uh, oriented business. But for the teams that have shown patience, whether it's with their head coach in Bednar's case or with the personnel or, or you know, accepting there's going to be mistakes and failures before there's victories, um, you know, in Kucherov's case and everyone else. It pays off. Not every time, but it's certainly, you know, if I'm a copycat league and I'm, and I'm looking at how teams have had success, stability. Right. And that's a big, big thing. And that's what every you know team should be striving for, some level of stability so that the players, you know, can get comfortable into a system and into an environment and create a winning culture and go from there. And that's what we see with both Colorado and Tampa. It's so true. Um, I want to get on the Colorado page here really, really briefly. I know we only got a couple of seconds left here. Um, McCarr's the headline. McKinnon's the headline. Outside of those two, who are you most intrigued by in this series against the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, the rest of the blue line, you know, we know what Taves brings. Um, but how's the rest of that blue line going to hold up the Johnsons and Byron and everyone else uh, against a pretty tenacious Tampa Bay team? I think we know what they bring offensively, and it's not just McCarr and McKinnon, you know, Ranton and Landis Cog, et cetera, Comper. Like, they have great offensive prowess, great high-end, great skilled players up front, the Nikushkins, et cetera, Burkowskis. I get that. Defensively, though, how are they going to hold up against a team that has skill but also can grind you? I mean, I just sat and watched, you know, Perry and Kalorn and Maroon get in on these hard four checks, big hits, uh, you know, just tenacious down-low cycles. They get into, you know, maybe the turning point was game three in that Rangers series where they really started to get interest, into Shesterkin's space, and they made that a game, you know, a game plan. They actually drew two penalties on contact plays against Shesterkin, and that was by design. So if they're going to really drive the net hard, how is the Tampa Bay, sorry, how is the Colorado Avalanche blue line going to withstand that type of pressure physically? Um, and, and just the, the drain it puts on you game after game. So I'm, I'm interested. I mean, listen, they've, they've overcome, you know, Philip Forsberg and Duchesne and McDavid. <laughs> it's not like they haven't been challenged so far, but yeah. let's face it, the Tampa offense is a little bit of a, a different style of offense because they got skill players, but they also have a lot of guys who grind you. You know, I'm not sure Edmonton grinds you. You know, Edmonton will maybe skate you into the ground, but they don't necessarily grind you. So I'm I'm really interested to see how they hold up, and that might not be the sexiest answer. I didn't really name a player, but you know, aside from that top pairing of Taves and Makar, I look at their blue line and go, okay, they they're serviceable, mm-hmm. but how are they going to hold up against what's going to be a, a pretty relentless forecheck and attack of Tampa Bay that that we can expect? Should be a good one. Listen, safe travels to Denver. Uh, wish you well. We'll watch for you on the Magic Eyeball. You be good, DA. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Uh, Enjoy uh, what should be a really interesting, uh, compelling, as you say, heavyweight uh, showdown between the Avs and the Lightning. All gets underway Wednesday on Hockey Night in Canada. Thanks, David. Thank you. David Amber uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. Uh, Don't forget, we are all over this on Hockey Night in Canada and your host, Ron McLean. Wednesday night, game one, the heavyweight matchup, Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. That really is a good point, too. How many years have we said now? At least two or three. Oh, this would be a dream Stanley Cup final. Well, it's finally here. Tampa and Colorado enjoy it. As we bring in Matt Marchese, uh, our producer slash fill-in host, I think we can actually officially add that now to your business card, Matty. I'm going to put it on my uh, Twitter bio. It's a good Jeff idea. Jeff Merrick, fill-in host. Good idea. Stunt double. Merrick stunt yeah, double. That's Radio it. stunt that's double. It. How about that one? That one works. Uh, what's got you uh, spiced on this one? Okay, so I was looking up Nikita Kucherov's numbers. 
in his career in the playoffs. He's played yeah. 130 playoff games yep. in his career. He's not even 29 yet. So yep. that was kind of mind-blowing. But I was looking at his points per game. He ranks among players that have played 100 playoff games, and yeah. there are 389 skaters who have done so. You can see I was working this morning. Mm, good, yeah. Um, he is sixth in points per game behind Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Mark Messier, Mike Bossy, and Yari Curry. Kind of wow. good. That is that's some wild, right? Elite territory rarefied air. Like that's the thing. Like so many weapons here. And then Braden Point comes back, all of a sudden there's a, another weapon um that this team hasn't had. I don't know how many times like tomorrow's gonna be uh like how many how many different ways can we say this is going to be a great matchup with elite level players? And we'll have to do the whole thing all over again on Wednesday. This is going to be a great matchup with elite level players. Like I'm going to talk to Robbie Shrimp here in a couple of moments, and you know I'm most curious about Robbie Shrimp playing with a young Corey Perry with the uh, with with the London Knights. We'll get his thoughts on the series, and we'll get you know the update on you know his podcast and, and playing in Latvia now after taking a couple of seasons. Um, but there's so many compelling stories on both teams, like Media Day. Um, you know, in Denver, uh, tomorrow is going to be a fascinating one. I know players like to be guarded around this time. You don't want to give any, any, uh, any bulletin board material to any teams, but someone's going to say something tomorrow. There are just too many compelling personalities. Someone will say something tomorrow. That's going to take this to a whole new level. Oh, don't you hope so? Oh man. That's exactly what we all want. Maybe it's Kucherov. Maybe that's the guy. Totally Kucherov. Like I think yeah. that I think that right now Steven Stamkos is the most interesting interview post game. Like I think like of, of 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 any of the players on either of the teams. You know, it's been this way pretty much all playoffs long. Like when a when a Colorado game is over, the person I want to hear from most is Steven Stamkos. To me, he delivers the most consistent, interesting observations and takes on the games themselves. But you never know what Kucherov's going to say. No, he could uh, he could say nothing, or he could say everything, Ooh, everything. Yes. Ooh, so I want yes. I, before we take a, a break here, I did want to get your take on this because I threw this out there uh, more than once, and people say, "Well, you're an idiot," and you you probably will too. <laughs> but um, the Tampa Bay Lightning, in my opinion, and I know I didn't see the Islanders teams of the early '80s and the Canadians teams of the '70s, but based on the circumstances, like you mentioned, with the flat cap, yeah. with the roster turnover that we see. This and the bubble and everything, this is the greatest dynasty because of the circumstances the NHL has ever seen if the Lightning can pull it off. I was there for that Habs and Islanders. And Islanders, to me, were the one. That was the team. That was the team. See, the thing about the Islanders with me was, I know we're heavy against the clock here. The thing about the Islanders with me was we saw that team constructed from zero. We saw that team put together... um, by Bill Torrey, the bow tie from zero. You know, that was uh, an expansion team that was put together and inside of what was it, seven years, they won their first Stanley Cup. Maybe it was eight years. I think it might have been eight years. But from that first training camp the Islanders had in Peterborough, Ontario, where there was like a million players and a bunch of them had to be sent home and there was all kinds of controversy and some pretty intriguing stories, ladies and gentlemen, from that training camp to when Bob Nystrom scored that goal against Philadelphia Flyers to give them the Stanley Cup. Like, we all watched that unfold in front of our eyes. We saw that built from scratch. Didn't say that about that Montreal Canadiens dynasty. So I grew up with that. I still always default to the Islanders, maybe just because I loved that team and loved all the personalities on it and thought that was the most amazing team I had ever seen. And then came the Oilers right after it. I don't know that I'm going to go as far as to say the Tampa Bay Lightning are the most, you know, are the, are the, are the, the best dynasty that we've ever seen. They've won two, get to three, and then we can start to have the conversation. But they still have to beat Colorado. And that's going to be the toughest out that they've faced in any of their Stanley Cup finals with this group of players, right? So I'm not focusing on the first cup, the last two. Beat Dallas, beat Montreal, Okay, but Colorado, man, that's a different breed of cat altogether. Let's uh, let's hit a break. Uh, Robbie Shrimp, co-host of the Shrimp and Servette podcast, former NHL forward, standout in junior, took a couple of years off, is now playing in Latvia. He is back. 
Uh, and he's podcasting. And we'll get his thoughts on former teammate Corey Perry uh, and his thoughts on the Stanley Cup final matchup as well. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back with Robbie Shrimp in a moment. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. I want to thank David Amber for stopping by from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sports Center for Game 1, Stanley Cup Final Wednesday. Tampa Bay Lightning facing off against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, very much looking forward to this next conversation. Rob Shrimp is the co-host of the Shrimp and Savret Show. Great new pod. Former NHL forward. Someone that's... Uh, I was actually thinking about, Rob, over the weekend. Uh, my son had a baseball tournament in London. So every morning I'd run right by Budweiser Gardens and see the Glory Days pictures from 2004 and 2005 and... Couldn't help but uh, thinking about you and uh, and the London Knights, and I want to get there in a second. But first of all, thanks so much for doing this. How you been? Hey, thanks for having me on. It's, it's great to be here. I've uh, been great. Been been busy. Been living in Lafayette for the last couple of years. And, yeah. Uh, we settled down here, so it's it's been pretty cool. A little bit different. Uh, moved back here after living for a few years down in Florida, so. Uh, it's been an interesting couple of years, but yeah, it's, it's been good. I've uh, I've I've, uh, I've long made the point that when you look at hockey fans globally, um, you know every country has its own particular brand of fans, and I've always maintained Latvian fans are probably my favorite. It doesn't matter they're winning, the team's winning, the team's losing. It doesn't matter. They are partying, <laughs> they're having fun, they are drinking, they're getting like, they're, like everything about it is just like Rob. Like when I look at it, it is just pure hockey joy. When it comes to Latvian hockey fans, has that been your experience there? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're super passionate, and um, you know they kind of have the. It's a very small country, so when they get into these big events, the World Championships and Olympic Games, these sort of events, they're they're really like you said, they're happy to be there, and it's a celebration. And um, you know they they obviously want their team to win, but they're again they're celebrating that they're even there. You know it's. Mm-hmm. A small country, 1.8 million people. So when they get a chance to get, get to those big events, it's um, they don't have a super high expectations. Again, they're happy to celebrate the fact that they're there. And I can say from the time when I played here in the KHL for Denamo Riga, uh, we weren't a very good team to put it nicely. And but every night they came, 10,000 fans, and we're chanting. They had the drums going, you know, that European style awesome. chants going, and everything from yeah from puck drop to finish. Um, so super passionate fans of it. Yeah, there's a ton of hockey interest here. It's, it's a really good country for hockey. Do you think that vibe ever comes over to North America? Like, we, we saw that a little bit with the fan section in Vancouver this season. I know I know that the Vancouver Canucks are going to, you know, starting next season, um, cult, try to cultivate more of a soccer-inspired theme, to your point, with the drums and the chanting and the scarves and, like, that whole vibe. Do you think that ever comes to North America? I don't know. We're so used to that. It's like a, I think in North America, it's more like a, uh, the sport is more like a consumer event. You know, you kind of come there, have a beer, have a hot dog, have some food. And then when certain things happen, you chant and you, you get, not chant, you get, get excited, get out of your seat. Yeah. It's just totally different. You know, I don't know if it'll ever evolve. It, it would be unbelievable if it did, because you can see the guys from North America when they come over here for the tournaments in Europe, they're like, man, this, the, you know, the fans and the atmosphere was so cool. Uh, it felt like a soccer game. So I don't know if it'll ever evolve over in the States, but I think it, if Vancouver's going that way, we'll see if it trickles down because, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool. It is. It feels, as a player, you, you really feel it like your home fans are get the, the, the chance going, even though most countries I played in, I didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> but you could feel the you could feel the energy anyway. <laughs> I had no idea what was being said. But, you know, sometimes it was like, you know, it's, screw the other team or whatever but it was funny but i remember the first time uh freddie meyer and i came over freddie meyer and i came over at the same time oh, yeah. um after our nhl careers and we got the moto and one of our first games was moto versus lulia and they had the the, the fans from our team and the fans from lulia it was in our home rank lulia's fans were right next to them they this is not a good thing but they started throwing flares at each other. Me and Freddie looked at each other Whoa. like, what did we get into? <laughs> what did we sign up for? They had to have like a, you know, 30 minute break. so they can clear the smoke out. So, cause it was so smoky on the ice and then also separate the fans. And then we got to go at it. But That's uh, a lot of passion in the fans here. 
That's yeah. that's well. I want I want to get to the uh, the shrimp and sriracha here in a couple of moments, but I do want to ask you because I was just in London over the weekend, as I mentioned, my kid was at a baseball tournament, and you know, uh, part of my running route down to the old baseball stadium there, up to the Mount Pleasant Cemetery, you know, the 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 route, and you know, I go I go by the Bud Gardens, and I'm yeah. thinking about the London Knights, uh, and I'll tell you what, man, that 2005 team, you know, was probably the best junior hockey team that I've that I've ever seen. And yes, I still remember Hunts throwing you out on the power play, even though you guys were up like 10 to 1 on Sarnia or whatever. And <laughs> you and Corey Perry are taking the full two minutes, just filling your boots. And it was, hey, man, Hunts has been running that for a long time. But when you when you look back, because like you were right there with, with Corey Perry. And, you know, Corey Perry and Robbie Shrimp ran the show in London. Danny Savretta as well. What a defenseman. Um, but what do you, what do you see now when you look at Corey Perry and when you, you think back to, you know, being his teammate with the London Knights, like, what did you think then? And what did you, what do you think now of Corey Perry? I think Corey's a great example for kids to watch the game and learn like from Corey in the sense of Corey was a superstar for, for quite a while. And now he's at the tail end of his career a little bit and you can see, what's keeping him in the game as far as how he competes and how he does whatever it takes for the team to win. You know, this is a guy that was a hard trophy winner. He was, um, you know, he was the MVP of the league one year. Rocket Richard, um, again, lived that sort of superstar years for a while with Getzloff. And now he's hanging around because his competitiveness is unbelievable. He does mm-hmm. the little stuff, the gritty stuff, net front screens. He's always, you can see him in the playoff series. He's such a pest around the net all the time. Um, just his effectiveness as a player, again, going from a sort of a, an all-star rock star. Now he's like he's still a very good player, but he's more of a role player. And, and what his tangibles are, are, it's incredible to see him keep doing it. I mean, every year in the playoffs, he shows up. He's been awesome for Dallas, awesome for Montreal, and now he's been awesome for Tampa. Yeah. Um, very effective in, in filling in some voids and being a depth guy. So it's fun to watch. You know, I, I kind of watched him progress into a superstar in junior. When I first got there, my, my first year there, he was a good hockey player. And then the next year, the Mem Cup year, he turned into something out of this world. Yeah. Uh, he was very good. His competitiveness, every single night he came and he brought it. And, uh, you know, he was just an awesome guy to be around. And his resume, you know, speaks volumes. I mean, he's won everything you could possibly win, really, as a hockey player with Olympics, Stanley Cup, World oh, yeah. Championships, World Juniors. All of it. He's got all of them. So um, he's so competitive, man, and it's it's awesome how he how he comes and brings it every single night. He's always there. You know what I always wondered about? And now Corey Perry had the best toe drag I ever saw. Like watching him play with the London Knights, I'm like, and everybody would bite at the <laughs> yeah. blue line, and I'm like, oh, man, this is incredible. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but the whole time, Robbie, like I'm thinking, this is great in junior hockey. But is he going to be able to get away with that? Where he would dime you saw him, you rode shotgun with him. Like, is he going to get away with that in the NHL? Because there's killers and heads up with that move coming in over the blue line, sending that one back to the OHL kid. Did you ever wonder whether whether his style of game was going to work in the NHL? Never a doubt. You know, the thing with his toe drag is he's so he's so big. He's got so much range. You know, his yeah. arms reach so far out. So inside of that range, he really understood the range because it wasn't just the toe drag. It was the next piece of it is body control and when to escape and when to how close is close enough to draw that guy into to escape. He understood that to a T. You know, those weren't flukes. And again, at the NHL level, guys don't bite as hard, right? So then. While you're hanging out with that toe drag, Corey has the you know hockey IQ to understand this guy's not biting. Now I go escape to the outside, to the right, and drive the net, which he's done unbelievable yeah. through his career. So guys don't bite as much in the show, but that that move is he understood it to you know again every inch of the details, and that's what made it so effective. But yeah, the way he played, his grittiness around the net, his timing. He wasn't just standing there. Like, he timed everything very, very well. Yep. And he attacked the net at the right times all the time. And he does the same thing in the show. So he's that's his understanding of the game. And that's some of the pieces that, you know, again, young players can pay attention to and, and sort of learn from um, the way he plays. is so effective and it's very, very smart. You know, this is going to be such a unique Stanley Cup final. There's there there's no, as I've been mentioning all show long, Robbie, like, there's no Cinderella story here, which, I mean, the Cinderella story mainly, mainly flames out by the end during any any type of playoff run in hockey. Uh, these are two powerhouses. These are two teams loaded with skill, loaded with speed. Um, Tampa is still, I think, you know, as much as we talk about how skilled Tampa is, that is still a nasty, dirty team to play against, and they don't mind playing that way. Thank you very much. Like, what, what intrigues you about this matchup here from someone who's a, 
I mean, you're a super skilled guy. You're still a, a keen observer of the game. Like, what Robbie Shrimp uh, excites you about this final? I like that it's firepower against firepower, and we're going to see, you know, an experienced firepower versus the Avs who are kind of coming into it. And this is, their, you know, they've been talking about this team for a quite, quite a few years now when they're going to break through because they were, itch, you know, scratching the surface for a while. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see that, I wouldn't call them. They kind of are the older guys in Tampa, you know, with these younger guys playing the same game, trying to do the same thing. So I think they're, they're quite similar in a lot of ways, but you got a, you know, a little bit older headman versus a, a little bit, you know, a lot younger McCarr. You got, you know, I don't know who you put, you don't have, you have too many guys in Tampa. What do you say? Stamkos or uh, Kucherov would be matching up against McKinnon. Kind of the, those stars going at each other. But I, I really like that it's I, – I think it's going to be a firepower series. Mm-hmm. And then you got Vasilevsky, who is an unbelievable closer. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I love a lot of the story. Like, Patty Maroon going for another cup, which is insane. Paris, yep. this is his third year with three different teams. Like, there's there's some great storylines there. Um, and, it, and, again, it's going to be – like you said, there's no Cinderella story here. These teams were really kind of – beginning of the year were always in the conversation – and then with Tampa, most people have been like, there's no way they can do it again. And here they are. <laughs> I know. And then yeah. Colorado was like, can they get there? And they've done it. So this is great to see. And it's, it's you know, that anticipation is going to be awesome. I can't wait for puck drop. Let me, uh, I'm with you. I think all of us are on the same page here. Certainly anyone listening to this, yeah. uh, this program right now um, as a diehard hockey fan. Let me ask you about uh, the Shrimp and Savret show. Uh, I think there's still a lot of room in this hockey universe for more podcasts, and, and I love it when I first found out about this. Mind you, I'm a uh, I'm an OHL guy at heart, and uh, you know you were two of my favorite players on that London Knight squad. How did this one come uh, come together? Uh, you and Danny been you know always kept in touch going back to 2005 days with the London Knights. How did this one work? Yeah, Stevie and I've been I've been good buddies ever since London. We were roommates our first uh, my second year in pro in Springfield. We were roommates together drafted by the Oilers together. So we've been chatting and recently been doing a lot of diagram and eclipse and just some educational stuff and, and putting it out for people to learn from and uh, caught some eyes. And, and we got together, uh, Civi got, gave me a ring one day and said, Hey, you know, these guys are noticing your clips. Would you want to do a podcast together? And it was kind of like, absolutely. So I love Danny's brain. Danny's a super smart guy, very, very intellectual, mm-hmm. uh, tactical, smart hockey guy. And I love the way he sees the game. Uh, as an individual, but also like with systems and breaking down, you know, plays, he really gets in depth. And I think it's, he's super valuable in the hockey space in general. And then with the idea of the podcast is it's an educational podcast. And, and I, again, I thought there was nobody better to do it with. I can kind of break down individual stuff and, and break that offensive uh, side of the game down in plays. And then Danny talks a lot about, you know, structures and systems and, and, you know, PKs and PPs, all this kind of systematic stuff. So, it was a, I, I, as soon as he called me, I was like, absolutely, I'd love to do it with Danny. He's a great guy, too. Um, we actually had a great story on the podcast about Patty Maroon. Sibby went out to bat for him when he was kind of on his out on his way out in Philly. Yep. And mm-hmm. it turned out Sibby going to bat for him wound up getting him traded, traded. for Pat Maroon. <laughs> so, <laughs> but moral of the story is, like, Sibby went out of his way, and he's such a good guy and such a, a great teammate and even better friend, so... Um, yeah, we're, we're having a blast with it and we're going to start getting guests on. And then again, have it be that educational side of it where it's, we'll bring some plays. If we bring a guest on a player, we'll, we'll get some plays to break down and talk about. So these listeners can kind of get an understanding from that perspective and, you know, just try to grow the game, you know, the biggest way we can. It's a great idea. Uh, it's a, it's a really great one. You guys are, you guys are tailor made for it. Um, that's a red family. Like the whole family is a great hockey family too. Like it's, it's not just Danny, like that's a, that, that's a really good hockey family. Um, before I wrap up, you mentioned Pat Maroon. You know, it's always interesting. And I've, I've told this story before. You know, when the Saint, before the St. Louis Blues won that, that Stanley Cup, you know, there was a time in the season where, you know, everybody was getting traded. Jay Bomeister was going to get waived. Um, they were... Uh, Pat Maroon was going to be on his way to the American Hockey League. And I think we've all wondered before, like, if, if Pat Maroon gets waived at that point down to the American Hockey League, does he ever come back up? And none of it happened. They changed their mind. Next thing you know, Pat Maroon has won three Stanley Cups in a row, and he's going for four, going to become one of the more decorated players, you know, if, if Tampa can pull this off. It's, it's amazing how the game, you know, it's, it's not so much what 
what happens but what doesn't happen that ends up changing people's careers. And I always think about that with Pat Maroon. What if he gets waived? Does he ever come back to the NHL to do this? You know what I mean, Robbie? Yeah, there's, yeah, different circumstances that, you know, that's definitely food for thought. And it, to your point, I think that would probably have been the last leg, you know, yeah. but luckily for him, some, that's the thing with the game. Sometimes it's a lot of luck is, is comes into play and, and, and these sort of things, it's, it's amazing what's happened. He's been such a good role player for Tampa. He's fit in perfectly, finds a good fit. You know, Cooper had him when he was a kid, so understands him well and knows how to get the best out of him. Yep. And I, I think if he goes back down to the minors, I, I, I personally don't, I could say, I can't guarantee it, but I would say that there's no chance he gets back up. It's yeah. too many other variables, draft picks, different guys that are higher on the list and um, already having your chance, like they're going to look at seven or eight other guys before they're going to pull you up. Yep. It's uh, it's a remarkable game you know? in that way. Listen, uh, best of luck with the podcast. It's called The Shrimp and Savrette Show. Encourage everybody to have a peek at this one uh, and lend it your ears. Rob, thanks so much for stopping by. Best of luck in Latvia. We'll check back soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Rob Shrimp is the uh, co-host of The Shrimp and Savrette Show, also a former NHL forward. And he was the OG skills guy doing the Michigan and such. Like, he was the first guy that I saw do the Michigan scoop move. This is during the um, CHL Top Prospects game. Pick it up at the blue line, spin and fire it at the net. Didn't score. I remember watching that going, whoa. I think all of us did. Now all the kids do it. A lot of it goes back to Rob Shrimp. Such a talented player. What sweet hands. Uh, So thanks to Rob Shrimp for stopping by the program today. Thanks to David Amber from Hockey Night and the NHL on Sportsnet. Uh, previous to that, Hour 1 brought with it Curtis McElhaney. Thank you so much, Curtis, and Elliot Friedman as well. Safe travels to Denver for Game 1. We got one more day of getting your sleep. And then NHL, Stanley Cup Final, Colorado and Tampa. Merrick Show returns tomorrow across the Sportsnet Radio Network.